welcome. I'm going to invite you to grab a seat if you're able. It's always good to see people saying hey and, you know, catching up and giving well wishes and, and such. It's a good thing. You know, we need that personal connection. And it's, it's great and, and fun that we have that those of you who are tuning online as well to be able to connect with us from where you're tuning in uh, today. If you're ever able to be here in person, be here. It'd be great to have you. Uh, we look forward to meeting you face to face. So this afternoon, uh, we're going to continue uh, in this series. I want to, you know, really make good use of time, honor your time and being here today. We're going to look at the touch of God assures. The touch of God assures. We've gone through these different branches of what does the touch of God represent? And you could go home, you know, Barb, you could probably go home and write down a bunch of different things of the way that God moves and, and touches your life. Amen. And some of these points we've looked at are, you know, the, the touch of God, he ordains. The touch of God transforms. He unifies. He heals. That through the touch of God, we can conquer all evil. Today we're going to look at, as I said a moment ago, the touch of God assures. How many of you like assurance in your life? You know, we like insurance so much that we get insurance. Right? We have our life insurance, all different kinds of insurance, and I, you know, my, my young life have used it. Uh, and you know what? It is a wonderful thing when you have it, and I can also imagine dreadful maybe even if you don't have insurance. And so as I think about that, I think, God, I'm so thankful for the assurance that you give us through faith in your son, Jesus. So the big idea for this afternoon is this. The touch of God assures that through a personal and intimate relationship with Christ, we can be confident and certain of our blessed hope. Through that personal dimension, that relationship we have with Jesus Christ, we can be confident of the blessed hope that we have. Personal is defined as this, belonging or relating to or affecting a particular person or relating to the person or the body. And I can't help but get a little excited about this because as we look at our passage today, we can see how God gets personal. He gets into the nitty gritty. He relates to us on our level. He even ministers to our whole self, mind, soul, and body. Jesus is personal. He's not impersonal. He hasn't just clocked out and not involved in human history. He's remained involved. And so today, I want you to be encouraged, maybe even stir that dimension of, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 verse 6, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, God love this, if a son, then God has made you an heir. Romans 8.14 says this, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. 
And I say all those verses, I share those verses because it shows this personal dynamic, this personal dimension that we have through our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're children of God through faith, we're also heirs, co-heirs with Christ, and so forth. He ministers to us mind, soul, and body. I'm thankful that Jesus isn't only an analytical savior. He comes at it from a personal dimension. So let's look to Mark chapter 5. I know we were there last week, but we're going to attack this or look at this from another vantage point this afternoon. We're going to see how Jesus, in his interaction with the woman with the issue of blood, but then the one prominent religious leader, how he assured, most definitely assured, all those who came in contact with And if you're going to remember any point this afternoon, it is this, that Jesus' reassuring presence changes our world. Jesus' reassuring presence changes our world. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors, and she had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well." Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And while he was speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. The child is not dead, but asleep. I think you can see throughout this interaction from God's personal dynamic here that he's reassuring. His presence is reassuring the people that he's coming in contact with. Point number one this afternoon is that we need to make the time. 
We need to make the time. I, I love this part of the story because there's so many different things that are happening. But most importantly, Jesus was never too preoccupied to make time for the people he was ministering to. I touched on this briefly last week. But here we see that even when the woman came to Christ, he took the time to say, who touched me? Now keep in mind, before the woman showed up, Jairus, this leader, came to Christ. Come, you know, my daughter is dying. I need you to come in and speak to her, to heal her, you know. You can heal her. You can touch her and change her life. And yet while they're en route, the woman steps on scene, and you can imagine it from the, st- the way the story was going, the disciples were thinking, we don't have time for this. Time is of the essence. We need to get to Jairus' house. But here, Jesus is showing us something, that when we make the time, God can as if make time stand still. I know I'm, I'm, I'm look, reading into this a little bit, but I believe he can make time stand still and work all things together to the glory of God. And here Jesus says to the disciples, you know, who touched me? He wanted to get down and personal, relate to this woman who was going through the circumstance. He was never too preoccupied to get personal. This is something that really tremendously speaks to me because we can get busy, right? We can get on this path. We can almost get the tunnel vision of I got to get to point A or I have to get to point B. And we don't take advantage of the opportunity right before us. Maybe there's other examples that are, you know, swirling through your mind, but that is something that's especially speaking to me even right now as I read that passage, we need to make the time. In a world where, you know, we we give ourselves all these different things, but it's important to keep that personal dynamic. And so Jesus reassured her. He says to her, in verse 34, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. He related to her. He related to her with words. He related to her by speaking into her life and, and also resulted in this physical healing. But what do we do with this? this? This side of history, how can we bring this into today? Tomorrow is a really important day on our calendar, maybe for majority of people. It's V-Day or Valentine's Day. And on that day, we like to buy different gifts or maybe whatever's in your wheelhouse to assure the person that's sniffing another, that person you love, that you truly do love them. And so we go through these ways to, you know, make it personal. Maybe you write a note. Maybe you buy a, a Hallmark card that says something wonderful, but then you add on or you edit a few things in the paragraph. We like to do these things that we can assure those that we love the most to say, you mean the world to me. Here Jesus is showing this woman that you mean the world to me. Who touched me? He wanted her to know that he cared about her just as much as that important leader, Jairus, one of the important synagogue leaders. Sometimes we put people on a pedestal. Sometimes, you know, we elevate them to a place that they really have no, you know, place really being. In the church, we, we joke at times. I know I was, you know, having a little uh, laugh about this uh, with a, uh, a friend uh, a few weeks ago. But even in the church, sometimes you get a prominent leader coming to the place and you're like pulling out the red carpet and, you know, like a bishop's coming to town and you, you, you know, you pull all the, the fancy, you know, cutlery or whatever it may be. Here, Jesus, 
He's made the woman and this leader on the same playing field. There's equity here. And so he comes, he, he reassures her, and this is the experience, this is the personal experience of the woman. She, she comes into contact with this reassuring presence of Christ. And what I appreciate about this, to encourage you with this afternoon, is that each one of us have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have that personal dimension. We can say, you know, I don't know about your story, but let me tell you about what Christ has done for me. It's hard for people to come against personal testimony. When you can say, I believe Jesus still heals, and you can give an example in your own life, it's hard to combat that. And yet we see in this story, whether it's the woman with the issue of blood or the people in attendance with Jairus the leader, that there's always going to be crowds, people pressing in who maybe are heckling or naysaying in the whole nine yards. And yet I think Jesus is showing us the importance that when we make the time, that's going to make a world of difference to the people that we're coming in contact with. I know throughout my life, whether I was, whatever circumstance or life transition I was going through, when a person took the time to be personal, whether it's a reassuring hand on the shoulder or a phone call or an email, a text message, there's something powerful about that reassurance. And in many ways, when we open our Bible, when we read the word of God, it's so important. It's like a living text message that Jesus is sending us every single day. You know, today may be tough, but you're going to make it. I'm working all things together for your good. But sometimes we don't open the Bible. Sometimes we even maybe default to just reading the latest book that's on the New York Times bestsellers list. We got to get into the word because Jesus, he's he's personal, he's personified the living word of God. And so point number two is this, intimate reassurance. When we make the time, we will experience this intimate reassurance. Again, look at verse 34. He says, looking at those sitting in the circle around him, Oh, sorry, I'm reading a different passage. (laughs) Verse 34. Daughter, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Be healed from your affliction. So this is her experience. This is her encounter. And yet she's experienced healing in her body. Everything's good. You can imagine people are like, wow. For 12 years, she's gone through this ordeal. And now she's experienced wholeness. But then there's Jairus. He's thinking, this is great, this, this is wonderful, but my daughter is still, you know, fighting for her life. And so let's go to verse 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And you have to love Jesus' response right here. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. This reassuring calmness, he's saying, look, I understand things are grim. She appears dead to them. In fact, she is. We look at the story, she, is, she has died. And they can think that all hope is lost. But Jesus just tells them very simply, don't be afraid, only believe. And yet when we experience tragedy in our life, our first maybe default setting is to say, well, that's it. That's it. There's there's no hope. There's no hope for you. And I think this example to Jairus can stir us here this afternoon. It's been stirring me, especially when you, you hear of men and women going through great suffering, maybe even those who are on their 
about to breathe their last breath. And I know in our in the county there was a very unfortunate uh, um, loss of life of a young woman by the name of Abby. I know the church grieved. Church grieved for her, and it, it was you know it's gone far too soon. And yet this beautiful reassurance in the midst of this tragedy was that because of her faith that she is with the Lord, whether we're asleep or awake, we're with the Lord. And yet in that encounter, not to take away from that or be insensitive that, in many ways, Jesus is still saying, when the odds look grim, our most important thing is to turn to Christ. When we face the greatest of tragedy, turn to Christ and hear his words saying, don't be afraid, only believe. This was teach me in the situation, God, what do we do? What do we do in this moment when our loved ones or friends are facing, you know, great odds? All we can do is to come to Christ and say, I know this is outside of my scope and, and my will, my power, but for you, all things are possible. And yet at times, like this crowd, some people say, there's nothing else we can do. And instead of believing and acting in faith, we live on this default setting. And so this is something that... You know, I, I wrote in these words, and I just want to be very transparent that in writing this message, this is what was written long before the, even the personal tragedy happening locally. So I just wanted to, to speak to that because I know I've had a few messages wondering, you know, does God really heal? How can you have a beloved sister of the Lord who believes in faith? And, but yet this to happen to her, there's things we don't understand. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And I don't understand why I've seen the hand of God on some people's lives and other people's lives and some restored and others uh, not restored. And yet I think this speaks to us as passage today is our part in all this is to believe. To believe. So here's Jairus' personal experience. And look what happens right at the beginning of this interaction. It says that he came to Christ and he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. Here, this leader, this prominent leader, he really became undignified. I don't really believe he became, you know, that he lost respect or, or honor. I, I think he was acting, you know, in, in humility, coming before the one who had authority to heal. And yet, in some respects, he was undignified. He comes before the Lord, and he begs him to come with him. Come lay your hands on my daughter so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Here it shows this personal dynamic once again that in the nitty gritty, in our, in our darkest hours, if you will, that Jesus is there. Here it's showing us this importance of this invitation. Jesus is in, inviting us no matter what we face to come to him who's able to move mountains. Like the woman in the crowd, we don't have to move around covertly or with this false sense of humility, but rather be willing to get in personal to offer our petition to God. And this is, this is something I understand this can be a difficult word to receive, especially when you experience loss or maybe you've experienced loss or you know a loved one who's going through um, difficulty right now. And yet my encouragement to you would be this. Don't lose faith. Don't lose heart. God can move mountains. He can work wonders. And at the end of the day, whether we're asleep or awake, we are with the Lord. Now look what happens in verse 36. Remember, Jesus wants to assure us. He wants to make an impact in our life. And in 36, they come to him and say, hey, 
you know, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. But Jesus responds, don't be afraid, only believe. He says, he didn't let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. And he took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. And hear what this spoke to me. And I'm, I'm just speaking very, on a very personal level here this afternoon. I'm, and I, I pray there's some grace here. I'm not going to articulate this perfectly. But hear what I see in verse 36 is Jesus dismissed a crowd that didn't believe. He dismissed a crowd that were naysaying. But he brought those who were close to him that believed in what he could do. And this spoke to me and spoke to me, you know, my, in my own private prayer time. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord was saying to me that there will always be that type of crowd present, whether in the church or outside the church. That crowd will always manifest. The question is, what do we do when that crowd manifests? There always may even be those couples here today as you think about your relationship and what God has called you to, your assignment. There will always be those who maybe will try and step in the way of that assignment. But you need to be resolved, resolved in what God has called you to, remain bonded in that calling and trust in Jesus. So this, this example here where he says, don't be afraid, only believe, this goes beyond, much further beyond just a physical ailment and needing of healing. That if God's called you something, he's saying, don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. And this is what's speaking to me. The remedy in this situation, no matter what we're going through, if we can learn to lean into his presence, his reassuring presence, that he wants us to approach him and all that we're facing, he's going to make a way. He's going to heal our heart when we experience loss. He's going to bring wholeness when we're facing affliction. Hebrews 4.15 says this, and I'm sure many of you know this passage of scripture. And some of our most difficult times, I'm sure we've gone to this part of scripture. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. And so here Jairus, you know, he heard of Christ and he came to him with ultimate boldness, just like the woman in the crowd. He comes to him and says, come with me, Jesus, and make her well. And so here we see in this story that Jesus raised her from the dead. And some people have said, I saw some teachings on this because I did a little bit of research because I wanted to understand this, this wording of sleep. You know, was it figurative? Was it much more than figurative? Could it be taken literally? And we can go to Luke chapter 8, verse 55 that says this, regarding the same story, her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she should be given something to eat. So make no mistake, she wasn't in a coma. She had died. This young girl of 12 years old had died. Her spirit had returned to the Lord. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says, and the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the spirit, sorry, the spirit returns to God who gave it. That when we breathe our last breath, that our spirit returns to the Lord. 
Because in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says this, that when the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground, he breathed into them and they became a living being or a living soul. And so here Jesus, he's on the scene. He speaks to her. He speaks in Aramaic. He says to her, little girl, get up. Get up. Now, did you notice in the story what happened just before he said those words? Little girl, get up. There was a group that was laughing at him when he said, oh, she's not, you know, she's just asleep. They began to laugh and, you know, in a way discredit Jesus. Like, hey, what, are you, what are you talking about? How could you possibly know? These, are, these were hired professional um, people who would lament in, during a person's time of great need and tragedy. And yet they're, they're heckling Jesus. They, they lack this spiritual sensitivity to see what God, what through Christ, was trying to say. And like you, maybe as you, you know, you've heard these words of this story, it could be hard to say, well, what do we do with this? Does this mean that every single person that is going through tragedy, we just got to believe and not be afraid he's going to raise up everybody. Hey, I'm not God, but it doesn't mean that he can't do it. And that's, that's my encouragement. The day, John and I, I know the day that our dad went on to be with the Lord, we didn't stop in profession of faith that he could raise our father from the dead. I remember, and bro, I hope you're okay with me saying this, when I remember when he came into the ER and I didn't know the scientific pieces of what was going on. I just remember his brother comes in and, you know, I appreciate his, his, um, his care as he comes in and I know he wants to give me some information of what's happening, you know, no vitals and, and all this other information. And we just came in agreement together. We just got to pray. We just got to pray. Mom's in the room there and she's praying. She's speaking in tongues and believing and professing that with God, all things are possible. And that, for me, was of great nourishment to my soul, to my spirit, that in that situation, when we come under the test of fire, if you will, it shows what we're truly made of. When the going gets tough, do we just default to say, it's not possible. But rather, with God, all things are possible. This is how this story was speaking to me. Jesus, I believe, he's speaking to us today. No matter what you're going through, don't be afraid. Only believe. In John chapter 20, verse 30, we're told this. I got to tell you, I don't remember reading this passage of scripture before. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There are many signs and wonders that were performed that were not written down. And yet the part that I was just amazed was in the verse 31, that this was written so that you would believe in the Christ. At the end of the day, God who spoke and worked miracles testified and pointed to who Christ was, that he truly was the son of God, the one who could forgive sins and also heal and bring complete wholeness. And therefore he's the same Messiah and Savior who's coming back one day to raise up all who believe in his name. And so this is the account, if, if there's anything you want to take away from this, that Jesus, he makes the time. He gives us this intimate reassurance, even when the odds look grim. So if you're here today, wherever you land on this, there's something I want to deposit with you here, if you will. That no matter what we face, especially sickness and death, both sickness and death, no matter what, has to yield to Christ's authority. 
We may pass from this life to the next, but it's all within his authority. Death does not have the final say. The Bible says death has lost its sting. Death couldn't hold Christ, and so death will not hold us. This is the wonderful, blessed assurance, this blessed hope that we have. Do not be afraid, only believe. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And as they're coming up here, I want to leave you with a few verses that I've found very encouraging. We trust in God's pleasing and perfect will. We trust in his timing that God will move in the way that he has predestined. We will see people moved and and healed and we'll also see those who go to be with the Lord. But yet there's this tremendous reward, that moment in time when we do make that transition. In Revelation 14, verse 13, it says this, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write down this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to Lazarus' mother, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies will live. This is the paramount of this calming reassurance of our faith in Jesus Christ. I don't pretend to have this all, you know, figure out again, understanding why God moves in the ways in the supernatural, the miraculous, and healing and touching bodies like in this story, but I would I submit to you this afternoon, I would rather live in a place where we're believing in faith that he can still live or move in our circumstance. And so I encourage you, if you, know, you experience, maybe this week or in the coming days, if you experience a tragedy, you experience a situation, don't be afraid to get personal in that situation and circumstance, to bring an encouraging word. Say, I understand this looks grim, but the Lord, the, t- the touch of the Lord can bring healing. The touch of the Lord can bring assurance in your darkest hour. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your reassuring presence. Lord, that no matter what we face, Lord, even when our bodies even experience great difficulty and at times, according to your plan, give way, that we can rest and trust of the reassurance that we have through faith in you, that whether we're asleep or awake, that we are truly with you. That death is not the final. It it doesn't have the final say, but rather that we are always with you. Lord, I thank you as your word says, you'll give life to our mortal bodies by the power of your spirit that also raised you from the dead. 
And so, Lord, as we look forward to that day, that coming day, when when we will be reunited with loved ones who have gone to be in your presence, their spirit has returned to you. I thank you that here in the now, that your word still speaks to us, that whatever we're facing, we don't have to be afraid, but we can continue to believe that you're able to move mountains. You're able to speak into our circumstance. You're able to bring healing and to do the things that we cannot fully understand because the touch, your touch is truly supernatural that you can manifest in a place of fertile soil of faith. Help us to not have a default setting of disbelief, but rather belief that you are able to do and work wonders in our life. We come under your authority and provision and your loving name. In Jesus' name, amen.